listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Quirky, vibrant, fearless. Sarah Corey earned a master's degree in music composition from the University of Texas at Austin and is currently finishing her doctorate at the University of Colorado at Boulder. She has had performances by members of the Jack Quartet, Dallas Symphony Chamber Players, Harvard Videri Quartet, and the International Contemporary Ensemble. She is an active harpist, performing works in Carnegie Hall, Seegerstrom Concert Hall, and the Meyerson Symphony Center. Sarah spent her last six summers teaching electronic music and music theory at Interlochen Arts Camp. She recently accepted a position with the United States Army Band Pershing Zone as a staff arranger in Washington, D.C. Overall, Sarah plays well with others and spends her time getting lost in the right direction. I want to start with After Song. Okay. And um, one of the one of the reasons that um, Andrew like it popped into Andrew's mind is like, oh, we should get Sarah Corey on this. Uh, this piece, After Song, is on the Electronic Masters Volume Five. It is, which I am also on. So, Yay. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. So, um, this piece is called After Song. It's for cello and electronics. Mm-hmm. It has, uh, it's in three movements, each kind of about two and a half minutes long for the movements. And each movement has a very specific title from High Mountains, The Mysterious Bark, and On the Great Longing. So, can you kind of tell us what are the images that inspired these movements? Okay. Uh, so, each of these pieces has like a dual meaning to me. So, I read a lot of Nietzsche and um, all the titles were actually come from his prose or his um, writings, but they also have a particular meaning to me as well. So after song was actually written, like sketched out while I was hiking in Rocky Mountain National Park um, in Estes Park Mm -hmm. in Colorado, which is a beautiful place. Oh my God, I will show you pictures. Um, but <laughs> the piece was actually written on this ledge overlooking a place called Sky Pond, which is beautiful, picturesque, and um, it sits in kind of like a bowl nestled between these two mountains, and it's this little pond, and there's a beautiful, it's called Sky Pond because it's so high up there. It's about um, 10,900 feet and about a nine-mile hike in. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, and you actually have oh to God. scale yeah. up this mountain and up right next to this beautiful waterfall. Um, so I was actually sitting on the ledge kind of sketching these ideas that were just coming to me up there. Um, so obviously the title, From High Mountains. Um, you know, it's also one of uh, Nietzsche's poems, so it, it, it's titled From High Mountains or, like, you know, whatever translation you choose after song. <laughs> which is kind of funny. So I kind of uh-huh. took some of his um, words completely out of context and like plugged them in here and was like, oh, well, these all kind of go together oddly, like sitting here f- looking down from these high mountains. And that was kind of the first movement. And the second music, the, sorry, the second movement, um, the mysterious bark is less about animals and more about like the bark of a tree kind of enshrouding you. And I'm on the great longing. Got to kind of read the the prose he wrote, but it, it kind of makes sense. This person kind of goes on this long journey and goes through a lot of change, um, very highs and all of these highs and lows, you know, mountains, stuff like that. And um, at the uh-huh. end, it's kind of a longing for friendship and, and stuff like that. And it was actually written for a friend who is actually on this performance that you'll be listening Greta to. Greta Parks, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Are these, are these movements meant to be played ataka or are they all separated? They are kind of meant to have just a brief pause in between, you know, enough so that the performer can kind of set 
the the electronics that they're playing with or uh-huh. whoever's doing the electronics or running the electronics for them. It's actually meant to be played solo cello and electronics and right. can be maneuvered with one person. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you'll need a little time to um, set that kind of put your bow on the string, take a deep breath and then go again. So you have about like, you know, 15 to 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds in between the movements. Oh, if you okay. want to take, yeah, if you want to take longer than that, that's totally okay with me. But um, yeah, it just depends on how comfortable everyone with is with electronics. So. And what and what are you using for electronics? I think I think I saw on your SoundCloud it was it was Max MSP. Yeah, so everything like a lot of the stuff that I do is Max MSP or um, Super Collider. Um, I mean, processing and all that stuff is pretty cool too. But mostly I use Max, and for this particular song, all of the electronics were processed in Max. Um, I have two versions. I have a live like a live electronics version and a fixed media version. And the fixed media version actually really took off. Um, a lot of people feel um, pretty comfortable doing that kind of a thing. So it's just a standalone patch that you can run in Max. You double click it, it opens and has a nice little interface and you can just kind of click through and it runs. So, But it, it, was, it came from the, the live patch first. You d- yeah, basically so just made a fixed media version of it. Exactly. So everything yeah. came from the live out patch first, and then we went in a recording studio. Um, we recorded um, a lot of those clips and, and ran them through some of the processing. Uh, yeah, and that's how that came about. <laughs> I should do that. I mean, I, I have I have pieces where it's like, it's the I mean the patch runs fine, but it's just like the setup. Everyone's performers are really really scared of the setup. You they know? really are. They yeah. really are sometimes, or they feel like nervous and then they're like, oh, can we just fly you out? And I'm like, depends on the schedule, but sure. <laughs> like, right. Uh, which is cool. Cause then I get to travel. Yeah, yeah. It seems like with a lot of these pieces, you know, um, unless the composer is there or you have a real, like you really put your trust in someone that's going to run it. Like these mm-hmm. pieces really don't get done. Uh, live pieces. It, it just uh, like, yeah. we're, we're such on the, on the front edge of this of this whole like it, i mean if you take a consider the entire history of of these things it doesn't really seem like we're on the front edge because this has been going on for years and years you know but yeah. at the same time it's still like we're still fighting those same fights of like uh the performers get you know are very nervous about it like you know there's too much setup like not enough mm-hmm. the, all, all these problems that go along with it and it just seems like from the composer's point of view, I mean, I don't know anyone who goes through a degree anymore and doesn't write a piece for instrument and live electronics, you know? Yeah, that's true. But we have a lot le- we have less composers than we have performers. And I wish all performers, like, you know, had an interest in playing at least, like, one electronic piece or having um, taken, like, an introduction to electronic music course in their in their time period. But some people just don't have that comfort with technology or actually have a fear of technology and that can kind of um give them some kind of like colored view of how pieces and electronics work together so that's true on the other hand i kind of understand it because i mean where i'm teaching right now i I, nearly every concert i produce has some electronics on it and i think i did Mm -hmm. one i did one recently that had I think it had no electronics on it. And I just, oh, wow. I was coming to the concert and I was like, 
wow, I've, I, this feels naked right now. I'm not carrying anything. <laughs> I haven't set up for several hours beforehand. What's going on? So, so like I get the whole, oh, I can just show up with my instrument. Isn't that nice? Really? Does it actually happen? What? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you might have mentioned this before, but it's, Particularly the the full title or the the main title of the piece after song does that come from Nietzsche as well? Well, yeah, he mentions something kind of like in the after song way, but um, like in the words. But for me, it's just kind of like a song that's a reflection of some kind of experience that you've had. So it's kind of a, a song that comes afterwards. Ha ha! Really not um, too in depth <laughs> there, <laughs> but I thought it sounded kind of cool. Yeah, it works. I think so. Um, (laughs) do you, I know you're, you're a harpist, but do you also play a bowed string instrument? Um, yeah, so I am a harpist. I've been a harpist for gosh, like over 20 years and I actually grew up playing piano and violin. So I play the violin and the harp concurrently after I quit piano for about 15 years. And then I realized that I couldn't, you know, do the two instrument thing um professionally it just was too much time in a practice room and not a lot of socializing time (laughs) or eating time time. you know it's it's hard enough to play one instrument so i chose the harp after that Um, Uh but i do pick up the violin every so often and play so well that i mean it it makes sense that you say that because i thought the the use of natural harmonics in this piece was just so adept you know Mm -hmm. like you're you're switching back and forth between you know reg, regular normal notes and the natural harmonics and it, it's just the seamless flow uh between mm-hmm. the between the two worlds and i thought it was handled really like um, well like someone you. who plays the instrument you know the, who <laughs> has it has it in their hands every day and like this is just stuff that you do yeah, I don't actually play the cello, but uh, right, I do but... try to immerse myself as much as humanly possible for whatever instrument that I'm writing for to make it idiomatic. Sure. And I found that, um, so my friend Greta Parks, we were talking, and she really likes Bach, she really likes Seriajo, and that comes back to that that tag there. And I really like Marcos Balter and all of those wonderful people, so I tried to get kind of a little bit of a feel of there. And um, it goes back to that you know high and low from high mountains type thing, especially that first movement, it has those... Um, high artificial harmonic lines in themselves that the electronics are then grabbing and then doing a granular synthesis thing with. Mm -hmm. And then it has those actual fingered notes below it and they're actually forming uh, a counterpoint together. The the cellist Greta Park, she said she liked Bach, she liked Seriajo. Obviously those are two composers that, you know, have written some really famous cello pieces. Mm -hmm, So, and... Are you in this piece? You're are you trying to you're trying to meld those two and then others? You said I'm not really meld, but just I listened to the things that she liked, and then I kind of did my own kind of take mm-hmm. on those kinds of things because I knew that I've always had like a fascination with artificial harmonics. So how many composers have used artificial harmonics? There are a whole bunch of them. Right. Um, <laughs> so it's it's really hard to be like well. I took an artificial harmonic from someone and then I took this and I made that. But it's really just more like I had some kind of ideas in my head and then um, just kind of made it my own. Mm -hmm. 
that's very general. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it, I I think the piece works out very well. It's this very like pristine texture. I mean, the the electronics definitely add to that, but you know, the using using the artificial harmonics and 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 I think it creates this this sense, this world that I mean, it it definitely reflects the the titles. You know, just being being on top of a mountain. You know. Mm-hmm. That's um, I did my I did my master's at the University of Arizona in Tucson and Mm -hmm. being like that was something we did. My wife and I all the time, we just went and hiked and got up into the mountains and like experienced that that sense of quiet that Mm -hmm. you, you can't get anywhere else. And then, you know, trying to reflect that sense, that sense of calm, that pristine that pristineness, that that quiet that you get up there in a piece of music, I think you did it very successfully. Thank you. Yeah, I feel it's very much kind of the quiet after the storm of your life, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to go take some time up in nature. Things have been a little stressful, and I definitely use it as an escape. <laughs> right. We're going to listen to all three movements, and these are performed by Greta Parks. And if you're interested, it's also available on Electronic Masters Volume 5 from Ablaze Records.
What is your, I mean, what is your approach writing for a single person or a solo piece? I mean, for me, I've been I've been writing a lot of duets lately, but I haven't written a solo mm-hmm. piece for some time. And I guess I guess it's just because I've been more interested in conversations and haven't had really anything to say in like a monologue form. But but what drives what drives a piece like this for you? You know, it's really interesting that you say that. I. I kind of, I read that and um, I don't actually think of the pieces that I've been writing as solos because I believe that the electronics are their own part. Okay. And I don't know if that makes my brain work with the piece a little differently, but no, I've never, I don't, I don't think I've ever written a, a, something for like a solo instrument by itself. Um, electronics to me are another person they're another part of the conversation um in after song it's a little less less so um i wrote a piece before that um called nepenthe nepenthes and um it's for flute and electronics and that that was a more of an exploration of the conversation between Mm -hmm. electronics and and flute and this one was a little bit more cello centric right um but it's still kind of a conversation between the two things. Maybe one is more of an echo of the of the, the former. Right. I guess I I guess that's what I'm kind of thinking about because, you know, the it, it, if we're talking about like the live patch version of your piece, not the fixed media, but mm-hmm. if we're talking about the live patch, like nothing happens until the cello does something, right? That's true. All of the sounds are actually being processed organically from the cello. So no, nothing would happen without the cello. But I mean, it's the same thing with conversation. If if you didn't talk to me, I don't think I'd just start talking to a brick wall unless I need some help. <laughs> <laughs> Good Thanks point. All right. Very true. <laughs> yeah. You know, so someone's got to talk to someone for a conversation to even start. Even, you know, if you're talking to someone who's shy, shyer or more shy and 
quiet and maybe echoing some of the gestures that you're doing. But yeah, I don't normally just go up and talk to a brick wall. So <laughs> <laughs> let's um, let's move on to the five solitudes. Okay. And again, you have very evocative titles. So... Uh, score. I win. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I try. I try sometimes. I try. So let's go through each one of these uh, and kind of talk about its relationship to the bigger title, The Five Solitudes. Well, um, there's this quote, and, and originally it's, it's referenced as The Seven Solitudes, but I only had time to write five. <laughs> and five okay. just happened to work out. Um, I wrote, you know, two sketches of two other movements, but they didn't fit in the work the way I wanted them to. So it ended up being The Five Solitudes. Um, Again, it's a Nietzsche thing. So he references, and I'll quote it, it says, an experience of seven solitudes, new ears for new music, new eyes for what is most distant, a new conscious for truths that have so far remained mute, and the will to the economy of the great style, keeping our strength, our enthusiasm in harness, reverence for oneself, love of oneself, unconditional freedom before oneself. And that's kind of the quote that goes along with this. Um, the set of solitudes there. I, I just think of them as studies. Okay. So kind of five solitudes, five studies, um, it, like internal studies when you're so internal, like meaning like you're grappling with solid, like solitude of the soul or. Yeah. Kind of like that. Yes. Thank you for putting that more eloquently. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's kind of a, a solitude of the soul. Um, again, they all have multiple meanings. They have, you know, personal meanings and then they have kind of more literal meanings. Like the first one is called the follower on his shadow. If you take a look at the piece, it's not exactly a canon, but there are, um, canonic moments in it, uh, where certain lines are inverted, um, and certain li lines follow each other, you know, either by eighth notes or, um, or sorry, displaced by an eighth note, mm -hmm. um, or more at certain times. I mean, it doesn't follow the entire time, um, but it's definitely kind of like someone looking back and be like, hey man, you're an eighth note on my tail, get off. <laughs> um, if you want to be like super literal about it. Right. <laughs> so the follower on his shadow, ta-da! <laughs> um, and then the, the one that I was really particularly interested in is the fourth one, Untimely Meditation. First of all, it's, um, again, for this set of five, um, four of the five are around two minutes, two and a half minutes. There's the, what is it, number three? is a, One minute, a, 50 seconds. One minute. Right, yeah. So, it's a little scherzo. <laughs> untimely meditation is about six and a half minutes, I think, right? Yeah, it is. Um, it should be a little faster, and I've thought of altering it a little bit because of the length. But um, ultimately, this whole piece was written around that movement. And you were kind of alluding to, you know, was one a study of of the other and I Yeah, I, that that was the thought that I mean there are moments in this that really remind me of Aftersong or Aftersong mm -hmm. reminds me of this. So I'm wondering which came first. So the five solitudes actually came first. Okay. And before untimely meditation, um, I wrote this study. A friend was was asking, they were like, you know what, what if we had a string quartet? And they're like, and what if we tuned like, did a scordatura, like, this weird way, what would you write? And I just, I sat down and, like, we kind of did a little challenge within our, our little group. And 
I was like, you know what I do? All-? And the other thing was you can't actually play any notes. And I was like, okay. Sure. Um, I was like, so our open harmonics game? And they're like, yeah, as long as you're not putting your finger down. I was like, cool. So I was trying to figure out what I could come up with with this particular scordatura and not being able to play any notes. And um, there are some really cool harmonic um, techniques that kind of came out of that. And I just wrote a very tiny little study, but it kind of inspired me to create something a little bit more substantial. And I was talking to the Arava Quartet, and they're like, we'd really like you to write us a piece. And I was like, done. (laughs) And I know exactly what's going to be in that piece. And uh, so anyways, the fourth movement, um, I actually wrote first. Um, I kind of pieced them all together about the same time, but that one was the one that had the solid idea. And so I kind of, I don't think I took anything from that study, but I did because, you know, I could actually have them play notes here, though I, I decided for them not to. They don't play a single, I don't think they play a single note. I think one instrument maybe plays one very softly at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tried to figure out a way. It was It was also like a puzzle challenge for my brain to figure out, okay, what harmonies can I do? Uh, between these four instruments, like no score to tour, everything is, you know, normal. And yeah. using assisted harmonics and open harmonics, what can I do? Right. Okay. And then, and then also, I wanted to create this really calm, really serene sound world. So the reason why that one is so much longer than the rest is, um, it it kind of draws you in. It puts you in the state of relaxation, and you kind of like float into this beautiful shiny ball of a world. And you get kind of engulfed and you feel safe in that world. And then that fifth movement comes and just smacks you upside the head (laughs) in the worst and most amazing way ever. And that's really the whole point of this piece. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think if if the fourth movement were any shorter, it wouldn't have the same effect. You know, you really, Mm -hmm. that type of material, it needs time. Or or rather, you need time with it for it exactly. to be so effective. Yeah, you have to sit with it. It has to lull you into the sense of not false comfort, but comfort in the moment. And and then it drags you out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rather rudely. <laughs> Rather rudely. And maybe more like, not like drags you up, but maybe like smacks you upside the head a couple times and yeah. then like throws you out the door. So. Hey, wake up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... As evidenced by the by the two pieces that were we have our, well the one piece we've already heard and the piece we're going to hear, um, you're able to pretty seamlessly traverse this like harmonic continuum between atonal and you know, albeit non-functional but still mm-hmm. pretty traditional or tonal materials. So can you describe the methods that um, that you're you're thinking about or you're using when it comes to pitch or harmony um i feel like a lot of it is is fairly intuitive some of it is um i know this is going to sound weird but kind of visual like some of but but isn't at the same time so if you think about in theory like these two things mirror each other these things are canonic these things um are inversions of each other so i use those but i also kind of fall back on a sense of like pretty and non-functional harmony Um, the functional stuff, a lot of people have done that and I think it's beautiful, but, um, I kind of like putting a little bit of a jab in there, like not a jab, but like a, an easiness in, in, in the world sometimes. Um, and that's, that's really it. It's, it's pretty intuitive for me. 
Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's a really hard question to to answer. It's like, so how do you approach harmony? And I'm like, hmm. It's it's part of pu- it's part puzzle and part beauty and part. Oh, God, it's hard to explain. I thought it was interesting when you were saying that um, it's visual for you. Because actually, a lot of when I'm writing, music is very visual for me as well. You know, mm-hmm. like I get I get much of my, ins- well, let's not, I, inspiration is a tough word. But I get a <laughs> lot of ideas for music that start mm-hmm. off as visual stimuli. And I and I'm mm-hmm. and I'm not just talking about like oh that's you know that the the lake is pretty or whatever let's let's write a piece about it but rather like oh I want to try and take something about the rhythm of the waves or or something like that and then make it into you know you know what I mean it's like it's it's taking it's like it's being inspired by some kind of like visual thing that occurs yeah a visual phenomenon or something so mm-hmm. is that is that when you're talking about you know um lines that are mirroring or repelling each other i mean is this coming from from a visual place yeah it comes harmony comes from a visual place and a lot of it also comes from text which is something that i forgot oh. to say though um you know all the titles kind of come from text and like the juxtaposition of these words that don't really belong together but are there so just like narrow souls, like those two words, like I would never encounter those two words together had I not, you know, used them right. myself in my own piece. Or <laughs> when you think about a soul, it seems like all encompassing, you know. Mm-hmm. And also like near the third skin, like that's they're all very evocative titles with words that I mean, I meticulously crafted and put next to each other or like found words that are together that like really inspire kind of inspire or just like spark something in me um but yeah I'm a really big person on like unusual combinations of words and then it might be also like unusual combinations of like certain types of harmonies and certain types of non-functional harmonies together yeah yeah (laughs) um each movement kind of regardless of its tempo is very active you know, there's a, there's kind of constant activity, even if the harmonic field is relatively static. And there's mm-hmm. there's there's never really a moment of just like pause or calm. And I'm I'm wondering if if this is kind of a feature of your of your other music as well. Um, actually, it's not. I think this is probably the most active piece I've ever written. I have. Oh, okay. I, I think I went through a period before I wrote this piece where I wrote a lot of very a lot of slower more meditative but still very intense music sure um that was very much along the kind of sim- similar harmonic lines but i think what i really wanted to do was uh show off the players they are amazing players they can let they can just like rip roar this out and it's fantastic i think the only movement that even like comes close to like being a little bit more meditative but it's still very in- intense is is the second movement where it's a little bit slower but still not not slow by any means right <laughs> how did you get connected with uh, arava um they were doing a residency um at the university of colorado boulder and uh we became friends and they're like you know we really like your music and so that's how that came about. <laughs> Bam, there it is. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, and I'd seen them in a couple concerts before and, and felt like I could do do them right. Yeah. 
So this is this is the five solitudes, and they are um, they're the quartet that we're going to hear. Correct, they are. <laughs> Thank you. 
question for you wait do you think the fourth movement is slow or do you think it's act like really really active i think it's very active in terms okay. of the the um uh the surface but yeah. i mean obviously the the harmonic background of it is you really know, static moving, okay. yeah moving much much slower but just like surface level activity is like mm -hmm. always you know always churning always moving which mm -hmm. when you when you come to a movement like untimely meditation you hear the word meditation and you think oh i know what this is going to be and then and then you don't get that you get something that yet like you get well let me say you get it <laughs> you get it in a way you're not expecting to get it mm -hmm. you know very untimely in the there harmony. it is <laughs> yep you get it untimely in the harmony bam mm -hmm. but i'm it's like one of those movies where you work in the title. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. And honestly, when I wrote these, okay, and I don't know if I should be saying this, but the titles came after mm -hmm. or during the process. Mostly, most of them came afterwards. It took me a long time to get these titles. I think they had, oh gosh, 
I don't even remember what they were, but I think they were pretty darn bad. And it took a while to find the ones that just, you're like, oh, and that one fit. It's just, it, it's like naming a car or like, I don't know, a child or a pet. <laughs> Where you're like, that's the name. I don't have any children, so I don't know. Um, but with a pet, like I have a little pet and her name is Coda. But okay. it took forever to be able to come up with a name for her. And it's it's like, you know, it just, it just fits. Because like. It just fits. <laughs> that was that was just a great comparison. You know, like naming a, <laughs> naming a piece is like naming a car, car. or a child. <laughs> child or a pet. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any kids. <laughs> I, I'm sure all the parents out there are just like, and facepalm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you, I mean, I have I have two kids and Aww. it did it did take a while to really to figure, okay yeah to figure out names but like well, one once you got mm-hmm. it you got it you know? exactly and it like fits and it kind of i don't know there's something about names it's like it doesn't like define a personality but your concept of the person defines the name and then you mm-hmm. like carry that with you with that name almost forever yeah yeah i mean titles for me titles are always tough like actually uh a, a recent piece uh i just did um it was for uh, two Chinese instruments and um, and electronics, and it was for this uh, for this performance in Taiwan that I was doing. That um, a bunch of former, either current or former doctoral uh, students from Rice University, which is where I got my doctorate, um, mm-hmm. we were doing this project with two professors who were, you know, we were all working with this ensemble and writing pieces for them, and it was months and months before the performance was going to take place and my former professor she, she calls me and she's like rob i need a title and i'm like are you kidding uh. me i haven't even i haven't even started yet <laughs> and she's like i don't i don't care i need a title like they're they're making the programs they need a title now give me a title <laughs> so i was like okay so in in that case like the title kind of directed the piece a little bit mm-hmm. better which was nice but so you kept it yeah okay. i did well i had no choice but to keep it i mean it was printed so well. even if <laughs> even if i didn't like it like that was what it was going to be called mm-hmm. um but no it worked out i i worked out pretty well i think um but yeah titles are always tough yeah, after song took me a little while to figure out the titles for too there were actually i think the first per, the first one of the first performances of it, it actually had, I think, a TBD in the program. So they're like, we need a title. Exactly the situation you ran into. And I was like, don't got one. And they're like, we need a title. And I was like, I don't have one. And they're like, well, what's the title? It's like TBD. And they're like, okay. And I was like, sure, we'll make a We'll make an announcement at the performance. Um, I mean, like it, that was, they wanted it very, very, very far in advance, you know, before. Right. Exactly. Same kind of situation. And yeah. I just... I couldn't like slap something on it because I just I didn't know if it was going to be multiple movements or how it was going to work and we we put a little insert in the program. It was a very like low key concert, so right, it was fine. One uh, one of the things that your website mentions, which I found very interesting, was um, it said well in your I said it said you said that um, <laughs> <laughs> the website has become alive now. Um, mm-hmm. You said that that you like to explore a connection between physics and music and that you, it actually comes from 
a, the, your own scientific background. So I'm wondering what that is. Oh, okay. So um, I actually did a lot of studies in undergrad um, in the sciences, and I, I kind of pursued that my my entire life. I was always into music and um, I guess planetary earth science and other kinds of like physics and and stuff like that geophysics um and there's a lot of properties of sound that carry over into the sciences obviously you know the study of waves waveforms and things and i think that's kind of why like at later in life while while i was while i'm pursuing my doctorate at cu boulder i decided to study also at my master's at ut austin study um electronic music it just kind of fused some of those science skills that I love with some of the music skills that I also love, but sometimes they don't find each other um, Mm -hmm. very often. But um, yeah, I was talking about physics and that, and there was this interesting um, thing that you can do and you can study waveforms on actually a piece of sheet metal. Um, And I created this machine that can show you what the waveforms look like as they emanate from your instrument. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, this is kind of a trick that a lot of physics professors do, but they normally pipe sine waves through at like 120 decibels. So, you know, everyone's cringing and rolling on the floor, like, right. please kill me now. And <laughs> something barely shows up on the plate and people are like, why did we just put ourselves through all of this hearing loss to see this? <laughs> and so I... <laughs> So I created this machine and it um, is sensitive enough that it will respond to really low decibel levels and it'll also respond to complex waveforms. Um, so you can hook it up to your violin, you can hook it up, well, I mean, you can just sing, not hook it up into your voice. That would be weird and complicated and I don't want to think about it. <laughs> um, but you can you can sing into a microphone and you can see these really beautiful patterns snap and they're the nodes, the antinodes um, that you can see in me and a, a friend who was getting his doctorate at UT Austin in math, mathematics, uh, created a max patch that, well, he wrote out the six pages of equations, probably like 13 pages of equations, and then I translated yeah. them into computer speak. Um, and then we created this really beautiful visualization. So if you were, and this is this was all theoretical, um, God, what, 2010 when we were doing this, and, and more science has come out about this, but just imagine a violinist, a solo violinist, standing in the middle of a concert hall, and then they play one note, and you can see those waveforms radiate from their body in right. 3D space. Like, that was the concept of this patch, to finally be able to, like, project that. Um, and that was what I was talking about with the, the, um, the music and physics. I actually wrote a couple pieces for um, these plates, these created machines, and... Um, I think saxophones. I had some really cool sax friends that really wanted to, to dig into that. And then yeah. uh, recently, I've been studying, not recently, I guess for the last, ooh, let's see here. Um, started in 2012 studying um, some neuroscience. And I wrote a program that reads your brain waves and can predict... It's kind of a performance practice tool. It first started as a as a brainwave interface, and I did a lot of performances with, um, you know, like jazz trio and brainwaves, and sure. like you're like okay, whatever, or um, you know, do some cool black box theater shows where I'm actually projecting what's going on in my head up on the screen, and it's not so 
cliche that it's like, hey, this wave equals this trigger X. Not that simple. Um, It's a little bit more complex than that. And what I was noticing when I was putting it on my brain was there were certain thought, like not thoughts, but certain certain patterns that were coming out in the brain waves. And I decided to do kind of a, you know, study on what happens to these musicians. And from that, I developed this patch that actually ended up winning uh, some pretty large prizes um, for music business. Um, it's called, it was called neuropractice and what it does is it can detect when you're going to mess up on your instrument before you do based on like synapse. Yeah. Synaptic errors in your thoughts. And it can also tell, like, say I put it on a student, I can tell if they're lying to me about practicing. I mean, most, most teachers can tell those things anyway. Yeah. Um, but like if they're lying to me, if they did practice, if they didn't practice, um, it can also help release tension um it can predict like how much tension there kind of is in your body um how much you're focused how relaxed you are like all of those kinds of things so it's kind of a useful aid and a lot of a lot of the things that i found in my studies is a lot of these problems don't happen um during some pieces but between some pieces and you know it only works for it's a very complicated thing but yeah it was a really cool project and um i was really happy to work on it and you know get the funding for to, to be able to do that for quite yeah. a while. Yeah. That sounds incredibly cool to me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll come to the, the final question that I ask everyone that's on the podcast is that how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? You know, that's an interesting question. I, when I was younger, um, I started playing a couple instruments and I really liked it and I showed um, progress very quickly in music and uh, I was still probably very young when I said this but I told my mom I was like mom I can't sleep there's music running through my head all the time oh and <laughs> she thought that there was something wrong with me right <laughs> and not that it was a gift so she thought that I was insane um, because I was hearing music at night and, you know, this little child can't sleep because, you know, I'm, I thought, you know, I was like, oh, well, there's all these wonderful pieces that I just play on the piano. I was like, well, now I'm going to play my own stuff. Let's go. And, um, that's just kind of what my brain was doing was reorganizing, um, stuff while like, you know, at night. And my mom took me to the doctor and the doctor was like, well, I think she's fine. She has a <laughs> gift. Just make sure you get her something like finale and, uh, get her some composition lessons or like some, just get her on more music stuff. And, uh. So my parents were finally like, okay, you're making enough progress at the piano and the violin. Like, we'll finally let you choose your own instrument. And when I was young, I really wanted to play the biggest instrument I can get my paws on, which what I thought at that time was the bass. And my mom said no. And I went cello and she said no. And then I went viola and she said no. And then I went to violin and piano. And uh, that's what we had in the back of the closet. And that's what my mom was able to pick up at like a garage sale. Right, so yeah. started playing those things. And then once I got good enough, my parents were like, okay, fine. You get to choose whatever instrument you want to play. And I was like, well, what is bigger than a bass? <laughs> I was like, the harp is bigger, bigger than a bass. Bigger, heavier, and still <laughs> something that you move to play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I play a really nice piece of gilded furniture. Um, <laughs> and my parents, like the minute they brought it home, I figured out my piano music on the harp and was like, ding, ding, ding. And my parents looked at each other and they just like, breathed a big sigh and said shit now we have to buy one (laughs) and you can edit it that out or be like oh no now we have to buy one no no no. so you got two to you got two to 
from there. We, um. <laughs> uh, we, I think, uh, I think we're listed as explicit on iTunes, so it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> well, you got two to choose from, just in case you want to be family friendly. And um, well, also, like we had, you know, uh, the third one was Jen Jolly, and we were talking about her. Uh, <laughs> pres- yeah, exactly. Like you're already laughing, but I mean, yeah. we were talking about her piece, uh, Prisoner of Conscience, and I mean, mm-hmm. there's like. There are so many fucks in that <laughs> in that yep. piece, just in the text, you know. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're 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 fine with the explicit thing. Okay, <laughs> that, that's kind of how it all started. Just started hearing music in my head when I was a kid, and just kind of progressed from there. Something I was always good at, and something I always enjoyed. And then I chose to focus on composition. My mom, honestly, I wanted to be a chemist my entire life, and my mom was like, "No, you'll be a composer." And I was like, "No, I'm I'm going to be a chemist." Uh, mother, I, I'm going to be a chemist. And she's like, no, you'll be a composer. And come time, like 10 years later, when I got to choose a college, I was going in for composition, but I also had the science on the, on the side. So <laughs> we were still, we were always at odds. That I think is the only time I have ever heard that go like that. I know, right? <laughs> the parents are like, no, you're going to do this thing where it's like financially very unstable. And and the mm-hmm. kid's like, no, I'm going to do this thing where I could get a job anywhere. That is yep. incredible. Like, <laughs> it was good for your backwards. mom. Jeez. <laughs> well, she, I think she just knew me. And uh, I think she just knew where my heart was, even though I didn't know where it was at the time. I think at right. that time I kind of had like a very love-hate relationship with music. I think everyone sometimes does. And if you don't, please talk to me about it. I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to learn your secrets. Um but yeah, it's like it's like a challenge. It's a challenging road, and I didn't know if I. I don't know if I was like. I'm not sure why I did it, but always been interested in the two things. And then the nice thing is, as I got older, I started finding ways to kind of meld the two together, which I find really interesting. Yeah, that's something that for me, I've been I've been finding out about myself recently is that I'm I'm interested in those intersections way more, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. It's definitely influenced a lot of my um, pre, you know, work in the last however, you know, three, four, however many years. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. So, yeah. this was uh, this is great talking to you. Um, and where can people find find you online in in all the various platforms and stuff? Um, you can go to my website at www.sarahcory.com, S-A-R-A-C-O-R-R-Y. And from there, you can access um, some of the files on SoundCloud. And are you also on, are you, are you on Twitter? Are you a composer who tweets? No, I do not. I might have Twitter, but I don't think I've used it in like <laughs> the 11 years. <laughs> You're st- it's still Sarah so Corey, no. at Sarah Corey, and it's still an egg? Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know that that's a thing, but I think I assume that you know what you're talking about on it. So if it's an egg, then sure, it's that thing. Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, I think stuff will be on iTunes soon and maybe on Spotify soon. But um, for now, it's it's on SoundCloud. And I guess you can follow me on Instagram. I'm the music composer with one C. So it's like musy composer? Yeah, the music composer or the music composer. I like whatever, however you want to say it, but it's the music composer I like with music one C. Composer. That's 
I like that too. <laughs> I feel bad because the person who is the music composer has gotten a lot of very of my very important emails. And please send them to me next time. I almost didn't get into college because of you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate you having me on the phone. It's been great. Uh, or not on the phone. On the Skype, whatever this is. This interfacing through technology the, the has com- been great. The computer box. <laughs> With the computer box. Yeah, the iBox. The iBox. It's the iBox. Um, it's been great talking to you and having this conversation. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music, or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.